Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Too drowsy during an instrumental. Start feeling the chi. Because now you have to listen to me. (laughs) So last week we celebrated and talked about some of the insights, uh, particularly N.T. Wright and his sort of perspective on the resurrection and the radical change that it brought to the mentality of the early Christian church. And the fact that up until that moment, there had been this sort of, you know, accepted view of the world, that there was a beginning in creation, and there was an end, the day of the Lord, when everything would get fixed, and, and people were just living in the messy middle. I'm, I'm so glad that our Christian theology hasn't adopted this view, where we, we know God did some stuff and created and set everything in motion, and we know someday He'll fix it, and, and we're just living in the time in between. Because the gospel suggests that that is not, in fact, if you read the New Testament, that is not how the New Testament writers understand the world. How they understand the world is that God created, and one day it would all get fixed. But in the meantime, the kingdom of heaven has come to earth alive in the moment of the resurrection. The promises have been fulfilled. The end was put in the middle. And and then as ambassadors, as representatives of this kingdom of God. We don't pray a wishful prayer, your kingdom come. We are ambassadors of this kingdom. We go live it and bring it to reality because we know what the end looks like. We know what's out there. We know what's coming. That makes us peculiar. We're incredibly optimistic people about everything. Amen? I mean, the church of Jesus Christ generally living in the reality that resurrection means the kingdom has come. It hasn't all been worked out. And the New Testament writers are very clear about this. The pains that are going on are the pains of childbirth. But we already know what the child looks like. We already know the health of this being. We already know what it's going to be. We already know that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, because that's all been resolved already. We know. Not life, not death, not things present, not things to come. Therefore, we don't worry about a lot of things. So we're going to stay in the middle now for a minute. And we're doing this little series called Back to Life. And last week, uh, we talked about back to life resurrection, what that means. Today, we're talking about back to life renewed. Next week, we'll talk about back to life refocused. And they're all coming to us out of John's account of the resurrection, out of John 20. And so we're thinking a little bit about these disciples and the aftermath of the moments of resurrection. So if you can get your brain there and you can kind of start to think about that and what it means. I, I'm going to read in a moment the passage out of John 20. Uh, Jesus' appearance to the disciples on the evening of the first day of the week. But before I do that, I want to give you a little bit of background because I, I, I want it to kind of punch you in the gut. You understand what I'm saying? Because <laughs> it's powerful stuff, powerful words. And so to stop for a minute and think about a couple of really important things to think about before we read that passage. 
And the first one is this, mission. It turns out that mission and purpose matters to you and it matters to me. Amen? Okay. So, why does it matter? Well, if you just talk purely about the social sciences, if you just talk for a minute about physiology, just talk about human beings, we kind of know this. The actuarial tables tell us that uh, if you retire, you have a much higher potential for more mortality, for not making it long. Amen? Some of you are like, I retired and I'm alive. <laughs> what are you trying to say? I'm hoping to re retire. I don't want to die. Here's the truth. People are retiring differently than they used to. Used to, you know, people sort of retired and they kind of lost their sense of being. And just so you know, the statistics reflected that. People, when they retired, had a much higher mortality rate than people who were working. Not a single amen. Today, people retire differently. So they move into their next phase of mission. That's really what's happening. People have a whole different purpose now in retirement. And guess what's happening? We're seeing that reflected in the statistics. People are living much, much longer because in retirement, they have a much greater purpose. So mission and purpose are related to something deeply ingrained in the well-being of a human being. I'm not talking spiritually. I I I'm talking it just matters that we feel our sense of purpose, that we have it deeply ingrained in us. There's several quotes that I, I really love about mission and purpose. Here's the first one, Maya Angelou. My mission in life is not merely to survive, but to thrive. And to do so with some passion, some compassion, some humor, and some style. Amen? That's a good quote. Zig Ziglar. Outstanding people have one thing in common. An absolute sense of mission. Outstanding people have one thing in common. An outstanding an absolute sense of mission. John Wesley, God grant that I may never live to be useless. <laughs> okay, you're going to have to be with me on this, you know, <laughs> to kind of get uh, in it. Viktor Frankl, those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. Those who have a, a why to live can bear with almost any how. And then Mahatma Gandhi says these words, a small body of determined spirits fired by an unquenchable faith in their mission can alter the course of history. Do you believe that? Do you believe that mission is important? It was important to the disciples, and mission is important in such profound ways. And we're going to see as we read the passage, as we hear what Jesus has to say to them, how quickly his attention turns to mission, how quickly he gets on the topic of purpose, how quickly he calls them to be renewed and some of the things that had brought them to the moment that they were living. So let's talk for a moment about the disciples themselves and about their backgrounds. So the truth of the matter is, you know, we can't trace every single detail of every single disciple and where they came from, but most of them we can. So we have a real strong sense that, that, that Peter and James and John and Andrew and most likely Philip were all fishermen around the Sea of Galilee. And, and when we get into that mindset, then you should know a little bit about the fishing industry around the Sea of Galilee. Because I would guess that what most people think about is like, oh, they went out on their boat, they caught a few fish, there was some kind of market, they went and they sold their fish. That was sort of the industry. Is that what everybody thinks? Is that generally what we think? Yeah. 
How much money could there be? <laughs> Although today you can go to St. Peter's Fish Restaurant at the Sea of Galilee, and you can have the dish called St. Peter's Fish. I don't think it's related to anything other than it's a fish restaurant. But Well, just so you know, the fish from the Sea of Galilee was typically salted and preserved. And it was exported around the world. In fact, it was a delicacy that was highly desired all over the world, particularly in Rome. The Romans were very attached to the fish from the Sea of Galilee, the salted fish that the fishermen so in the first century, the fishing industry around the Sea of Galilee and in the preceding from the time of the Romans sort of annexing the space, which would have been about 150 years earlier, the fishing industry around the Sea of Galilee was thriving. It, it generated a lot of money and a lot of wealth. And, and in that, the families were generational fishermen meaning their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, the people before them. There was a history. They, they fit into this industry. And these, this group, these five of the disciples, took their place next. They were next in line. Peter was married. They were starting their lives. They were getting into the plan. They were taking up the harness. They were fitting into the cause. They were fulfilling their responsibilities to those who had gone before them and those that were coming after them and participating in an industry that was doing pretty well in the day. They were promised fairly secure lives in being fishermen on the Sea of Galilee in the first century. Just so you get that in your brain. Nathaniel, also called Bartholomew, is a unique individual among the disciples. He comes from royal blood. He is from the house of Gesher. And, and the house of Gesher has produced one amazing piece of credentialing for that royal line. And that is that his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother was the wife of King David. So Nathaniel is from a royal line, which would mean several things for him. It would mean, most of all, that he comes from privilege. That he comes from a line of folks who are doing well. He's not unemployed. None of the disciples are unemployed. None of them are looking for work. None of them are checking the classifieds. And, and those are ads they used to put in things called newspapers. I, I forget. It's just not a thing anymore. They, they weren't looking up things in the classified ad saying, Messiah, looking for disciples, apply in person. It wasn't what was happening. These people had busy lives going on. They had things laid out for them. They had a plan. They were working the plan. Things were happening in their lives. They were getting going. Matthew, he might not have been the most well-liked among the disciples, but he was well-connected. In fact, if you think about the life of a tax collector in the first century, there's several things that happened. Number one, you didn't get to be a tax collector unless you had some means already because they sold off the right to be tax collectors. They went up for auction and you bought the right to be the tax collector. And you bought the right, you're buying the franchise. And the reason you're buying the franchise is because the Romans said, listen, this is how much money Rome needs. We don't care how much you collect. Just so long as Rome gets its money, you can collect anything you can collect. And everything you collect over and above what Rome wants is yours to keep. That's why tax collectors were so hated. Not because Rome was using them to collect taxes, but because Rome allowed them to exploit the people. So every tax collector set their own rates. That's exciting, isn't it? 
No wonder they wanted Jesus to smack him <laughs> instead of eat with him. But Matthew had a plan. He came from some means. He had established himself. He had a nice franchise working. Those were rare. Not many people had them. Not many people got into that business. They were hard to acquire and hard to operate. But there's Matthew. Simon and Jude get loosely connected to the zealots. Simon, strongly connected to the zealots, we're, we're told in the New Testament that he was a zealot. Jude, who is also known as Judas, who is also known as Thaddeus, who also has multiple names, is loosely associated with the zealots. We, we think that they probably came together into this thing called discipleship. Oh, there's good evidence that he was a zealot, which means they had sort of given their lives to the passion of seeing an independent Israel. They were very highly connected into the ideology that Rome needed to be overthrown and that Israel needed to go back to an independent country, which hadn't happened uh, since way back when, you know, Pompey annexed uh, uh, the Holy Land, Israel, for uh, Rome, 66 B.C., if you want to go back that far. It's been since the Hasmonean dynasty, since the Maccabean revolt, way back in the 140 B.C. era, that there was an independent Israel and the zealots were bringing it back. They were committed to it, weren't above violent, you know, weren't above sabotage, weren't above working from the inside out to bring it about. These people had passion, and they had cause, and they had purpose. And then along comes Jesus, and Jesus, in very simple terms, calls to them. Uh, the abruptness of it all is summed up in several of the Gospels, Luke 5 uh, verse 10, when Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, from now on you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up to the shore, and they left everything and followed him. Do, do you get the abruptness of this? The, the absolute radical nature of the decision to follow? They left everything. Mark 1.20, without delay he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Matthew 4.21, Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat with their father, and they followed him. They, they just picked up and left everything. They just left their old life to follow after who they believed to be the Messiah. They were, they were deeply involved in the mission and the purpose and the passion and the calling. And then the catastrophic happened. Jesus is arrested, and he's nailed to a cross, and he's crucified. And, and they don't understand they don't have anything in their understanding of the Old Testament, the prophetic word, the words of Jesus, the things he said to them. They don't have anything that prepares them for this moment. And they lose everything. They have left everything to follow him. And now it's gone. And in their hearts and in their minds, they've got to be thinking, we made the wrong choice. I don't know that we can pick up our old life. I don't think we can go back. I don't think we can fit back in. And, and I don't know what I'm about. I don't know what I'm for. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my mission is. A week ago, it was crystal clear. A week ago, I, I, I was a part uh, uh, of the mission and purpose of the Messiah. I, I was thinking that Jesus would come to power 
and I would have a place at the table. I was thinking that the kingdom of God would literally be alive on earth. And I was thinking that, that some of us in this room would sit at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus. And I thought we would administrate, and I thought we would be leaders, and I thought we would reap a harvest for those years of investment. And, and I thought we were in on the ground floor of a great scheme. But now it's gone. And in the catastrophic loss of Jesus, they have lost so much. They have lost their faith, their faith that he's the Messiah, their faith that it matters, their faith that what they're doing is significant. They have lost their resource. They, the person of Jesus was the one around whom it was all built. Without Jesus, there was no resource to go do the mission. There was no, there was no way of making it. Jesus did the miracles. Jesus did the teaching. Jesus did the interference. Jesus did the interventions. Without Jesus, there was no way to move forward. And they had lost their passion. A few days earlier, they believed that what they were doing would change the world. And now... They believed that it was all for nothing, that it was all a joke, that it was all a deception, that it doesn't matter what they invested. It doesn't matter what they left behind. It doesn't matter what they sacrificed. They had lost their passion, and they had lost their focus. What was so clear to them, what was so primary in their life, now was blurry, and they didn't quite grasp it. And then, on the evening of the first day of the week, Jesus appears to them. Now, listen to John's first-hand account of what happened. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So we have to stop here because everybody freaks out when we read this piece of the passage. Quite simply, if you wanted me to go through the 20-minute explanation, how many of you would like to hear the 20-minute explanation? Perfect. There's four of you. <laughs> you can see me after. If you get inside of what Jesus is saying, he's simply saying forgiveness will come through you to the world, and without you, they will not hear the message of forgiveness. He's not actually empowering them to decide who's in and who's out. Now, Thomas... One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see the nail marks, in, can you feel the emotional, psychological scarring that Thomas has gone through? <laughs> you, you say you've all seen him. Now the disciples on the morning of the first day, they've already heard. They've heard from two sources, the women at the tomb and the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They've all shown up and said, hey, we've seen Jesus. <laughs> and they're all like, yeah, whatever. And now the disciples are all saying, we've, and Thomas is like, yeah, he, listen, I bought in once, but I don't know about buying in twice. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, 
His disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Everything that's been stripped away has been given back. Everything that they've lost in these moments, Jesus focuses and and he says, listen, I I want you to be renewed. I, I want you to come back to this place of faith. And so he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. Now, If you know anything about the structure of the Gospel of John, you know that in the opening words of the Gospel of John, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things that were created were created. In him was light, and that light was the life of man. And and the reason he's saying this is because he's paralleling the Genesis story of creation. In the beginning... And so he wants us to understand that in Christ there is a new creation. And so he's carried that image from the opening of his gospel. And now in 20, he brings it back. And he says, and he breathed on them. Does that sound familiar? God breathed into Adam the breath of life. Jesus breathed into the disciples this this new life. He breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And their faith was reborn. Something happened inside them in the midst of all of the catastrophe and all of the crisis and all of the loss. He, he breathed life back into their faith. And he restored resource. He breathed on them the Holy Spirit. They, they were all twisted up in the fact that Jesus would not be the resource. And Jesus said, listen... There is something that's happening that is more than you could ever ask or even imagine. No longer is the person of Christ bound by space and time. Now the Holy Spirit will be with you. The Holy Spirit will go wherever you go. The Holy Spirit will be present anytime you bow your head and ask. The presence, the Spirit, the power of Christ will be manifest in you through the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have resource you can't even imagine that you've never seen. You thought it was coming to an end. (laughs) But unless a Seed falls to the ground and multiplies. It can't bear the fruit that God has in mind. And now the resource at their hands is is more than they ever imagined. And he rebuilds their passion. They thought that he was the Messiah. Now they have seen him crucified and buried. And now he stands alive with them. I I think that would charge up your passion, wouldn't it? I think what you had by faith, you now have by sight. I, I think you would suddenly be like, it does matter. It absolutely does matter. And then he renews their focus. These people who are height, you know what's happened. The the catastrophe has caused them to shift their focus. They've gone from focusing on the purpose of God in the world. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To focusing on their own survival. They've gotten their eyes from up here on mission and purpose. And they've got it down here on how am I going to get through this? How am I going to survive? They are hiding in the upper room for fear. That must have been a weird place. 
I mean, that must have been a weird group to hang out with. Amen? They're disappointed with the government. They're disappointed with the Pharisees. They're disappointed with Judaism. And they're disappointed with each other. They got to be looking at each other sideways. They got to be. They got to have some conversation going on about Judas and what he did. Amen? Because we would. We'd be all talking up Judas. Well, you know, I always, I always said, it's amazing how many prophetic people come out after the fact, amen? <laughs> I always said Judas was no good. I never liked him. You guys hung out with him, but I never liked him. I was always worried about that money thing. I don't know why Jesus gave him the money, amen? And what about Peter? I mean, there had to be little knots of people talking about Peter in the room. And yeah, Peter, man, whew. He went down in flames. I mean, you know, Peter was all that. He was always, he was in the inside circle, you know. Jesus always taking Peter somewhere. Peter, Peter, Peter. Peter this, Peter that. Yeah, get out of the boat, walk on the water, Peter, whatever. Mount of Transfiguration, of course it's Peter. Peter running his mouth. We got to build some tents, blah, 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 blah. This is what ethereal beings need, a tent. Way to go, Peter. And then when the heat's on. I mean, remember in the garden when he pulled the sword? Cut off the high priest's servant's ear. Chopped it off clean. And then in the moment of truth, he folded like a cheap suit. That Peter, I knew he was all show and no go. I told people. I said it out loud. Peter must have overheard some of that. What do you think Peter would say? At least I was there. I mean, last I remember seeing you guys, it was in the garden. I mean, once the soldier showed up, all I saw was the back of your head. I hadn't seen you. I didn't see you didn't fail over at Caiaphas' house because you weren't there. You were long, you were hiding somewhere long before that. At least I stayed around. I might have folded, but I folded late in the game. <laughs> I stuck around for a long time before I collapsed. And I didn't see anybody there supporting me or Jesus. At least I was trying a little bit. Must have been some weird conversations going on there. Because you know what happens? When disaster strikes, we pull our heads down. And we look around at each other. And I don't know if you've noticed this over the last couple of years. It's a very long list of people in whom we are disappointed. Amen? I mean, pick your side, pick your poison, but we're really, really disappointed, and it shows. And I wonder if we just stopped for a moment this morning and said, how much of our time, energy, personal passion has been given to the vision and purpose of Jesus Christ in the world over the last couple of years? Most of us would go, well, I got to be honest, I've been spending most of my time figuring out how to survive. I've been spending most of my time trying to figure out what the CDC said and what they said and, and what the, the World Health Organization said and what those other people And then I've been disappointed in these folks and I've been disappointed in those folks and I've been disappointed in those other folks. This has been a crazy couple years, hasn't it? Can I testify? So, you know, as one of the people on the team that didn't go anywhere, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> You know, 
that Sunday in March where they said, nobody's meeting. We met. I mean, we didn't get close to each other, but we met. And there's been a church service in this building every single Sunday. We just keep showing up and doing church, and our community's changed. We recognize that our online community is a, is a powerful extension of those who gather in this place. We don't sort of think about it anymore like, well, there's those people out there and those people in here. No, there's just us. And some of us are in here and some of us are out there and some of us are watching from different places across the country and world and we're all the family of Christ. But in this two years, it's been hard to make the decisions that keep everybody in the right space. Amen? And people have been difficult. Difficult. Not any of you. <laughs> but others. And somehow in that journey, our eyes have gotten down from the mission and purpose of God in the world and down into how do we get through this? How do we make the next decision and do the next right thing? And how do we take the next step? And how do we survive? And how do we not offend? And how do we embrace? And how do we stand up for what's right? And how do we not stand too hard, but, but too, too soft? How do we live in the balance and the prowess and the middle ground between the messy in extreme positions, and it's not been easy. It is time to come back to life. Amen. It's time to get our eyes up and to get back on point to the mission and purpose of Jesus Christ in the world. I get emails about the condition of the church in the world, a lot of emails. Usually they want me to hire them as a consultant to come and tell us what we need to do, which is fun. You know, it's, it's interesting. I hope they know. I mean, we didn't hire them, but I hope they know. <laughs> and part of the undercurrent of those messages is this. If you, don't, if you don't have some special knowledge, you may mess up the kingdom of God on earth. And the church of Jesus Christ may not ever be again what it once was. Well, maybe it won't be. Maybe it'll have to morph and change. But God has prepared good works in advance for us to do. And I don't have to worry about all of it. Here's what I have to worry about. Can we as a congregation get back on point from a missional perspective? Because not only do individuals need mission and purpose to survive, churches need mission and purpose to survive. And our mission and purpose is not to have a nice social club that shows up every week and gathers together and says, Nate, does he haven't seen you in two years? There's donuts. Let's have coffee. That is not why we're here. Donuts and coffee are an excuse to hang out together, to get to know one another, because as we bond together, we are here to be the kingdom of God alive on earth. That's why we're here. Two years ago, when we stopped meeting together in person, you, through Faith Promise, were giving about $300,000 a year that we gave away. Faith Promise comes through. We don't keep a dollar. It just goes out. You were doing work at Central City in downtown L.A. Sometimes we drive through L.A. and go, what are they doing about the homeless people? Listen, there are people who have committed their lives and their passion to making a difference in the inner city. And they're down there right now on this Sunday morning. And they're ministering to people. And they live there. And they work there. And they have relationships there. And it makes sense. And we can't do that kind of work. But we can send them some money so they can do that kind of work. Amen? 
And we talked about avenues, pregnancy help clinics that, that take women in Christ and pregnancies and give them choices and literally say to them, let's understand about that life in you. Let's understand what it looks like and what it means. And we want to empower that. We can't do that work necessarily, but we can give money to help them do the work they do. Tierra Del Sol, who takes care of adults with special needs, we believe in what they do. We believe in how they have impacted the lives of families in our own congregation, but more than that, across this community. And we, we want to give money so they do their expertise, and you've done that faithfully. In Africa, during these two years that we're all shut down, and by the way, we're sending a team on June 11th. Uh, we're sending a team back to Africa. Amen? Oh, so good. Okay, stop. That was so weak. <laughs> I want to, your fingerprints that have been absent in person for the last two years, three, we're going back in June to represent you and to love on some people and to look at, eyes on, the next projects that are going to happen in Africa to make a difference there. I, I think that's incredibly exciting. I really do. Yeah. Okay, that's better. That's better. And while we've been, you know, you know we, we kind of get ahead on that stuff. So while we've been over here trying to figure out how to survive, and of course, you know, they're going through it over there too, but a preschool has been built. A preschool that, that we adopted and funded that was a blank piece of ground, uh, you know, two years ago is now a functioning Preschool. It's kids come every day and they're cared for and they're loved on and they're fed and they're taken care of and you built it. You, you and your giving built it. It's not been dedicated. And one of the things we get to do when we go back, we get to dedicate that. I can't, they're using it and it's not even dedicated. I don't know how that could even work. <laughs> but that's mission and that's purpose. Two years ago, you know, you were given about 300000 a year to give away to all purposes. I just want to tell you, we've kept those partnerships going. We keep paying them, but the money has been slim. You know, about half coming in in Faith Promise is what it was two years ago. About half. And you know what I think that is? It's just people getting busy, not being reminded, just, just kind of forgetting and being worried and not knowing where the money is and what's happening and all that. Two years ago, we, we were on the brink of getting uh, uh, permits from the L.A. County. You know, it's been a 10-year process with them uh, to do some remodeling around here. And you know what our passion is? Uh, to have bathrooms that you can get into. Yeah. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Have you been to the bathrooms? Most people are like, yeah, I went once. Now I don't ever go on Sunday. I, I go before I come. I go after I go home. I'm not going to the bathroom here. Amen? By the way, uh, you can't grow a church if you don't have nice bathrooms. Just so you know, that's what all the church growth says. You better have a good nursery. You better have good bathrooms because if you don't have those two things, nobody's staying. See, people are leaving right now. They're just leaving the bathroom. Sorry about that. That was not nice. We'll probably get part of it. Thanks to the sacrificial work of some of our folks, our lay people, any day, L.A. County is going to hand us the permits. Any day. I don't know if we're going to do a major, massive project. You've got to raise a lot of money to do it. I don't know if that's what God... We're going to talk to you about it. We're going to pray about it. I just know this. Two years ago, we were really on mission and on point. 
We were, we were stretching to see where God wanted us to go. I want us back there. We are the church of Jesus Christ. Those disciples who were hanging out in that upper room for fear, in just a few short months, it will be said of them that they are turning the world upside down. Something changed. They got their eyes out of the crisis and they got it back on the vision and the purpose of the mission of Jesus Christ in the world. And that's what I want us to do. I want us to be renewed in our focus, in our passion, in our faith, in our belief that what we do matters. It matters. It matters what we do. It matters what we sacrifice. It matters what we give. We're in this for eternity. We're in this not just for the short term. We're in this for the long term. We believe. We have seen on the other side of the curtain. We know that those things that were dead have come back to life. We know that whatever we invest is not wasted that whatever kindness, and some of you have been a part of churches that fell apart, and you think, I, I sacrificed so much, and I gave so much. Hey, it wasn't wasted. It wasn't wasted. It wasn't wasted. It wasn't wasted. God doesn't waste any of it. He uses it. He puts it into the eternal significance of his kingdom. And he says to you, don't give up. Don't quit. Keep going. Keep focused. You're living for more than your own existence. You're living for more than perpetuating your own story. You are a part of God's great story. Be a part of it. Dig into it. Sacrifice for it. Accomplish something great in the world in Jesus' name. Go be the ambassadors that say, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we don't mean that philosophically. Practically speaking. Children eat because we care. Practically speaking, people in the inner city of L.A. are cared for because we care. Practically, things change in the world because we care. That's our calling. Make a difference. Be the hands and feet of Jesus in very real ways in the very real world. Amen? Amen. Amen. God, would you help us? We don't pretend to understand exactly what your mission looks like. In fact, we surrender it to you every day. What we do know is the spirit behind it. And that spirit is your will, not my will. Your plan, not my plan. That we would surrender our own opinions, our own hard-headedness, our own ideas. And Lord, I know you got to get through my hard head you got to get through my opinions. And I think we're always going to have them. Every one of us. But here's what's unique about this community. My hard head and my opinions and my heart are surrendered to you. Change them in whatever way you need to change so that they could come into line with who you are and with what you're calling us to be. And in this world that is so worn out with divisiveness and fighting. May we be the people that represent the kingdom of God who love each other the way you love us. Who live in an optimism because we know the end in the middle. Who trust you that in all things you are working for the good of those that love you and are called according to your purposes. And that you have prepared in advance good works for us to do. We seek them We open our hearts to them and we renew our faith and we renew our trust in the resources and we renew our passion and we renew our focus. And we're thankful that you've led us through 
And now would you bring mission back to life? We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.